Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show about natural disasters, climate change and traditional knowledge and how these things are all connected. And you'll hear that through stories from right across the Pacific. Each week we work with local reporters. They're on the ground letting us know what's happening in this space and what people want to hear about. On today's show, a different type of natural disaster record. Memories from a large earthquake in Vanuatu. Also, coastal erosion in a Fijian village is leaving community members with a possible life-changing decision to make. And a young farmer in Fiji is following in his father's footsteps, but he's finding things a little more challenging than ever, possibly due to climate change. We should expect uh, more sunshine in this month. It was from the starting of uh, June till October. But uh, the changing of this weather, we we currently uh, accept, accepting uh, more rain uh, every week. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Official written records of natural disasters can be a little hit and miss. It doesn't necessarily mean there's no record, it's just in a slightly different form, like a story. For example, one of those stories is a memory from Vanuatu in 1965 from a magnitude 7.6 earthquake. Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Florence Fanua has this story. When a devastating earthquake struck the island of Malekula in Vanuatu in 1965, 12-year-old Stephen Ruben was there, he recounted. When the earthquake was coming, you could hear its noise, shaking the ground with a heavy noise that I am unable to accurately describe. It doesn't sound like thunder, it doesn't sound like an explosion, but it sounded like when the volcano was shaking the ground. Those who reside close to a volcano are familiar with such sound. It starts to move a lot, and we then notice the houses and trees moving. It is comparable to seeing everything in a spiral when spinning. All of the trees appear to be turning in circles, and all of the houses appear to be spiraling. They are no longer upright and stooping, but the coconut palms and all the trees appear to be in a circle. After the earthquake stopped, every house and tree remained in place, 
However, all the homes began to swing like you were intoxicated as the earthquake lost its intensity. Chief Steven Ruben from the Brainway community on Malekula, north of Vanuatu, recalls that frightening earthquake day now, 70 years later. He claimed the earthquake occurred over the course of a day, around noontime, 10 to 12. It started to strike. It trembled a lot. At the time, I observed that the earthquakes caused considerable shaking, and certain areas in our neighborhood in Prainway had ground fractures, landslides and ground splitting. The sea migrated four times inland. When it first entered the inside, it turned around and returned several times until retreating to its current location. They could see in the water a vessel that was there at the time to buy copra, welling during the earthquake. But luckily, no one was in the region where the landslides happened, or they may have been buried by the slides, according to him. According to Chief Ruben, some individuals at the moment crawled on the ground. Some people lied on the ground unable to stand, and some people ran. I was among those who fled. From the time when I was a child till now, whenever there was an earthquake, I fled because I was unable to stand. While some of us fled, others remained seated on the ground or held onto trees or grasses. They are frightened. We fear that the ground may give way and we might fall through. They grabbed onto things, but I was unable to do so, so I had to go when an earthquake struck because I wasn't able to remain still. According to him, several old individuals wept. Both men and women in their 80s and 90s wept, and many worried that they might not survive the Enemos earthquake, which was a first in their history. According to Chief Ruben, there has never been another earthquake he has experienced like the one that occurred in 1965 in Vanuatu. According to him, the earthquake continued all day long. At Brainway region in northwest Malakula, the area where the sea once was is now a football field. And the area where the reef once was is now covered in vegetation. The sea migrated further outward following the Enemos earthquake in 1965. Fortunately, according to Chief Ruben, no one perished in the earthquake. After the earthquake was done, all I saw and heard were the accounts of what had transpired. Fathers, mothers and everyone else went to the shoreline to collect fish that had been washed ashore during the earthquake. Fathers, mothers and everyone else went to the shoreline to collect fish that has been washed ashore during the earthquake. Fish that we collected that became caught in tiny holes and bulls are still alive. They are large bluefish that are just lying there, dead and beginning to rot due to the abundance of fish that have washed up on the shore. At the time, it was impossible to breathe normally in the village since the smell of that fish permeated every area. According to him, few homes were seriously damaged because the majority of them were fashioned locally of bamboo and touched with palm leaves. On the subject of houses, only the very old homes fell during the earthquake. But life back then was very different from it is today. We didn't have concrete buildings. Instead, we lived in touched palm leaf homes, which were weak and could fall during an earthquake. 
but perhaps God was very present at the time and prevented any homes from falling. The homes that our fathers constructed during that era was all earthquake resistant. I believe that certain concrete structures might have sustained damage if they had been standing at the time. Additionally, if there had been electricity at the time, some cables may have broken. They had little knowledge about disasters at that time, according to Chief Ruben, which is why he was so afraid. People were unaware of the calamity because there was little public knowledge about it. According to him, the earthquake occurred when the condominium government was in place and there was little awareness of natural calamities like earthquakes, tsunamis or cyclones. And compared to now, when governments are more concerned with citizens' lives and respond to disasters and assist citizens in understanding disasters, the two governments at the time did not respond to the calamity. If an earthquake of this magnitude were to occur again, I couldn't say if I could protect myself from it, because earthquakes don't move like cyclones do in the atmosphere above. But an earthquake can shift the ground on which we live. I can hide within a cave, however the cave is on top of moving ground. I can construct a conventional house for myself, but it will be built on top of shifting ground. How then am I going to survive an earthquake? Because earthquakes move the stuff that we live on, Dalen. I don't know that I have any experience that has prepared me for a future earthquake of the same scale that occurred in 1965. Speaking from Brenway community on Malagula Island, north of Vanuatu, Chief Stephen Ruben described his experiences during a powerful 7.5 magnitude earthquake that hit the 10 new Ebrides Islands in 1965. After two foreshocks of 6.5 and 7 magnitude and two aftershocks of 6 and 1 magnitude, there was an earthquake of magnitude 7.5. The major events locations imply that three pareas prevent seismic ruptures from spreading in the crust beneath the former new Ebrides one on the northern Santo Island, one between Santo and Malagula Island, and one on the central Malagula. In Vanuatu, the two islands are the largest. Thanks to Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Florence Fanua for that story. If you've got any memories or experiences like this that you'd like to share, we would love to hear from you. You can get in contact, just search for Pacific Prepared, and then head down to the Connect with Pacific Prepared section. People's lives have been affected by a disaster. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. See, all the signs are coming, so we have to prepare. Be prepared. Pacific prepared. People living in a Fijian village that's been there for over 100 years are weighing up their options at the moment. Cyclones and heavy rain are causing flooding in their homes and sometimes even forging new rivers within the community. We've heard similar stories before, people having to make these impossible choices to leave their family homes or to possibly lose their lives. Sanyani Boiler is from the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation 
and she's got this story. This new stream feeding into the Waimanu River was created last week after flooding washed away large portions of the riverbank. Landslide is a continuous uh, issue here in Sawani. The village is in the middle of two rivers, the Waimanu and Soso rivers, and with the strong currents from the two rivers, they have merged last week, causing a number of landslides affecting our food source. This community is at risk of flooding every time there is heavy rain or a cyclone, but even even if the village escapes unharmed, floodwaters wash away large portions of land, slowly edging closer to these homes. As Sawani villages work to be climate resilient, Batingai says the children are at risk of the climate crisis. This will be a major issue for our children in years to come, so we are requesting assistance to help us relocate our village before. It's too late. Climate change is a concern for us. It's affecting villages, our plantation, our livestock, and also communities around us. Sawani village is more than 100 years old, and the 325 living here decided they are willing to leave their ancestral homes before they lose everything to climate change. Thanks to Pacific Prepared Reporter and Fijian Broadcasting Corporation journalist, Sanyani Boiler. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. Keeping a family tradition alive would be pretty important for anyone. And when it works, it must be a nice feeling. But it doesn't always work. A young Fijian farmer has recently discovered that doing the same job that his dad did was the dream. But the reality was different, and he's putting that down to changing weather patterns. Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Josana Nunga has this story. Most small-scale farmers along the Singapore Valley have felt and experienced the devastating consequences of climate change firsthand. Around four years ago, a young, energetic boy decided to follow his dad's footsteps by becoming a farmer. He had been working in the city of Lotoka for about two years when he decided to return home in the province of Nandronganagosa to assist and take over his father's farm. With his two years of experience of life in the city, he knew urban life was not a better option for him. As it is, the Singatoka Valley area has always been prone to severe flooding, affecting hundreds of farmers. Not only were their crops destroyed, but also the poor road conditions made it impossible for them to transport whatever they could salvage to the market. Let us now hear a story of this young farmer. Uh, my name is Amori uh, Rokondalana, and I'm uh, 27 years old, and I'm from uh, Naomani uh, in the province of Nandroa. Uh, Amori, uh, what prompted you? Uh, what motivated you to come back and do farming? I believe uh, uh, you've worked for a few years in the, the city. Uh, talk about uh, the journey after high school. I left uh, high school uh, in uh, 2014 uh, and uh, skilled a job in the city, but uh, I want to come back to the village and uh, assist, uh, assist my dad in farming. Uh, since my dad was retired, uh, he 
he works uh, at agriculture, uh, agriculture officer before in uh, Singatoka. Emori Rokondelama says much had changed since he was a child. The rains that once were regular has become unpredictable. Long dry spell and heavy rain during the month of June to October, which was not the case before. Rokondelana adds that at times, some farmers would think that farming was no longer a reliable source of income due to the changing weather patterns. Uh, it uh, affects a lot of farmers in, uh, in Fiji, uh, also in, uh, in our areas, since uh, we, we should expect uh, more sunshine in this month. Was from the starting of uh, June till October, but uh, the changing of this weather, we we currently uh, accept, accepting uh, more rains uh, every week. So we are unable to plan the uh, 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 like uh, especially for the melon, watermelon. Uh, we can uh, want to plan for the watermelon because uh, for the because of this uh, bad uh, condition of uh, heavy rain. Mm. He started searching for solutions within local farming community and attended to some trainings organized in other parts of Fiji. This was when and where he first learned about what was causing the problems they are experiencing, which is climate change. He was also taught climate adaptation techniques such as tree planting, mixed crops, digging pits for, ha for water harvesting, and diversifying crops, just in case one would fail due to the extreme weather. Uh, at the moment, uh, they just uh, planting more other vegetable and crops like uh, cassava, uh, popo, also the uh, eggplant uh, to supply the market and uh, hotel and uh, expressing the export. Right. Uh, I've been traveling along the, the road coming, uh, coming to your village. Uh, uh, the, I've noticed that the road condition is really, really bad. Uh, so you've talked about transporting the produce to the markets, hotels, and uh, for export. Just uh, talk about how, how farmers in your area are dealing with that, uh, uh, I would say, challenge. The only transport in the area is the carrier. And public uh, public transport uh, transport was the bus, and it came to stop because of uh, bad uh, road condition, road condition uh, due to frequent rain. Mm. This is to be a good road, especially uh, a farm road. Mm. But uh, due to the changing of the system, accessibility uh, became uh, a problem. Because the frequent rain has uh, worsened our road, uh, road condition right now, we have to we have to like to hire carrier, mm. like to hire carrier to uh, transport to transport our goods mm. to the market to the hotels and, uh, and produce the and th and then this is uh, uh, costly for us and uh, minimize our. Profit, especially. Right. The current challenges aren't in any way dampen the spirit of farming for Rokondelana and other farmers in the area. 
he says, they continue to plant crops, vegetables, and fruits that thrives in any weather condition, such as cassava, pawpaws, cabbages, amongst other vegetables. Uh, I've been working with uh, other farmers in the village to discuss uh, relevant crops and uh, vegetables to plan to, uh, to suit the weather. So, so we have uh, doing well, despite the changing in weather, weather pattern. We hope, uh, uh, um, uh, we hope, we hope uh, more wells. Yeah, we hope uh, more wells will be conducted by the Ministry of uh, Agriculture to ensure uh, productivity despite the um, weather pattern or uh, climate change. And that was Emori Rokundelama. I am Chosaya Nunga, reporting from Fiji. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. You know how sometimes it takes something, anything, to make you realise that you can change this or you can do something about that. It's not always big things. It could be anything. Like even though you're not an engineer, you could probably build a seawall. Like Teote Davies from Kiribati. She said over time, the ocean went from being this thing of beauty, something that everyone wanted to be able to see and be near, and it turned into a monster. This story is from ABC Radio Australia's Stories from the Pacific. You know, like I started to see, you know, like the sea coming in, eating the beaches of my place, you know, like my land was getting less and less and less. And I thought to myself, hmm, this is no good. But mm. And I looked at the beach. I looked at the sand from my land and I couldn't do anything about it. So I got on my motorbike and went up the road because I thought I'd rather go away and not look at this problem. So I went away, rode up, the, rode up further and um, the saddest thing was I saw people shifting their houses because the sea had washed their properties, their furnitures and, you know, like their, all their belongings were floating in the water. and They were trying to just collect them and put them up further up. I said, you know, so what are you going to do now? They said, oh, we're just going to live further up. We're going to build our house further up the road away from the beach. And mind you, everybody wanted to live beside the beach instead of on the other side of, because the sea breeze comes in, they sleep well during the night, they, you know, they have a beautiful view out there. But when this is happening, it was a beautiful thing, the sea was a beautiful thing, but now it's becoming a monster, you know, they didn't want to live beside it. I went home and I looked, surveyed, kind of surveyed, um, the place, and you must remember, I'm not an engineer, I'm just um, a teacher, you know, and I thought to myself, I'm going to build a wall to protect this. And I, it wasn't just that, it was thinking about my children, you know, Terina and Marita, thinking with their, you know, like, because in the meantime, I also, I've also built another house beside this one. So I thought to protect their interests, I will build a seawall. And so I built the sea wall, mind you, um, Bobby, the sea was just coming in through the lounge room. It was scary. Well, you ask a Kiribati girl who lives on the sea about climate change. 
I've never seen climate change. I don't know about climate change. What is climate change? doesn't exist. But my problem exists, and my problem is protecting my place from the sea. What, what did the men in the village say when they saw you building the wall? The men from further up, during, during the, when the tide comes in, they would come and swim right up to my place, and they would admire my seawall. And then they say, if Tauti can build a seawall, a woman like her can build a seawall, why aren't we building a seawall? And I thought to myself, true. Ah, I love that, Auntie. That's, yeah, beautiful and empowering. Now, besides damaging property, what other impacts does the rising water have on the islets? Ah, this is a sad one. I attended one of my nephew's funeral at Teoretic. And they dug his grave... And then high tide hit. Bobby, that grave was full of water. The seawater. I looked at the grave and I said to my cousin, him, his mum, are you going to bury him in that water? Yeah. She looked at me and she said, what else? Where else? That, and she said, the tide will go out. And his body, his grave, his um, his coffin, you know, will be buried. And that's another, re- you know, that's that's was one, um, one sad story of yeah. climate change. Not just that, the water is um, killing the trees, coupled with the hot sun. The trees, the coconut trees, are down. The coconuts are getting smaller and smaller. Um, mm. Not just that, but the people are not getting enough fresh water to drink. And yeah. I, I, re- um, I heard a story about there's a place in Bondiki, right, uh, near the airport, and that's um, water catchments. And so when that water goes, goes, you know, like gets salty, well, then it's no good. Yeah. Auntie, your daughter Marita turned your story of building the wall into a kid's book. How did it feel? I was sort of, I didn't know what to say. I felt very excited, very proud, very, you know, like I wanted everyone to know that there's a book about me that my my mm. daughter wrote and it's Tati <laughs> and, the, and the wall. You know, I, you know, like it's a beautiful story. It is a beautiful story and I'm sure lots of kids in Kiribati will enjoy that as well and learn a lot. Mm. Now, at, at the back of the kids' book, there is a question. Can Teote's wall withstand the strength of the ocean? Do you think it can? With maintenance, it can for now. Mm-hmm. The waves will keep on penetrating through that wall. Auntie, will your job of building a seawall ever stop? No. Yeah. No, because I will forever run my eyes over the seawall every day. Thanks to ABC Radio Australia's Stories from the Pacific program. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepare. Pacific Prepared is supported with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the Australian Government. 
It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, National Broadcasting Corporation of Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Fijian Broadcasting Corporation, Samoa National Radio 2AP, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation, and Tonga Broadcasting Commission. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about disasters. What would you do and how will you prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name is Fred Hooper. Please share any information you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.